Welcome to The Crossing, the sermon podcast from Washington National Cathedral. We're so glad you're with us, and we hope this week's episode gives you comfort and inspiration. Be sure to check out our other Crossing podcast, Tower Talks, where you can find untold stories from cathedral docents, volunteers, staff, and artists who have each helped make the cathedral into the national treasure we all love. And now, enjoy this week's sermon. Greetings, beloved. We are faced today with an incredible paradox. The brand new Juneteenth holiday. The intent, it seems, of moving conservative Christianity and religion to remove the critical race theory from state-funded educational institutions and the attempt to diminish voting rights, particularly for people of color. On this auspicious occasion of Juneteenth becoming a national holiday, it is an incredible paradox. Might I say that in our nation, We have the reality of commerce and wealth and the acquisition of wealth, which has for years been a primary motivation for injustice that has included the commodifying of human bodies for labor with fear-based object lessons. In the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I like Corinthians because it tells the story of the beginnings of the church as we know it with all of its issues and all of its foibles. 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 6, I just want to share a bit of the portion of scripture And the Apostle Paul says to the church, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling himself in Christ, not counting our sins against us. And God has committed us now to the ministry of reconciliation. And in Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, it says, as we work together with Christ, we encourage you and urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have heard you, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. Now see, now see, this is the acceptable time, and now is the day of salvation. And I pondered this with all of the juxtapositions that I have shared with you today, 
How might this possibly be an acceptable time and a new and fresh day of salvation? We are celebrating Juneteenth. And down in my African-American soul, I say, bless God that it has become a holiday. We are celebrating Juneteenth, the day that commemorates Major General Gordon Granger's announcement in Galveston, Texas, that the war was over and the slaves were free. He brought an announcement called General Order Number Three that said the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between an employer and a free laborer. As you may know, this announcement came to Texas June 19, 1865, two and a half years after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation which had become official January 1, 1865. Some have suggested that the messenger that was bringing the news was killed. Some say that the news was withheld because the plantation owners wanted to keep it from the blacks as long as possible in order to bring as many crops in as possible before the whole southern economy collapsed. And all of this could be true. But one thing is certain, my beloved, until Granger came to Galveston with his regiment, there were not enough Union soldiers to enforce the freedom of the slaves, and the slaves would not have known about their freedom. Might I also say, because of the issues of revisionist history in our time, Slavery caused the war that won, or rather caused the war won by the South and lost, rather caused the war won by the North and lost by the South. I got that. And there was a declaration that came from the state of Mississippi when the state was seceding from the Union. The Mississippi Declaration, an immediate cause which induces and justifies the succession of the state of Mississippi from the Federal Union. Let me share just a moment in case we have ever wondered whether or not this was really all about slavery, this civil war. In the momentous step which our state has taken of dissolving its connections with the government of which we so long formed a part, it is but just that we should declare the prominent reasons for which we have induced our course. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery. Thoroughly identified. The greatest material interest in the world. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce in the earth. These products are peculiar to the climate verging on the tropical regions. And by an imperious law of nature, none but the black race can bear exposure to this tropical sun. 
These products have become necessities in the world, and a blow to slavery is a blow to commerce and civilization. And that blow has long been aimed at the institution and was at one point the reaching of its consummation. There was no choice for us but to submit to the mandates or the dissolution of the Union whose principles had been subverted to work out our ruin. That we do not overstate the dangers to our institutions and the reference to a few facts we will sufficiently prove. It's amazing to me. It is absolutely amazing to me, not only from Mississippi, but from the many states who suggested that the hostility to the institution of slavery before the adoption of the Constitution was manifested in the well-known ordinance of 1787. And it is amazing to me that the thought was this was the intention both of the progress in the southern states and the will of God. This is, in fact, the principal reason for the Civil War. Those who are currently opposed to critical race theory would have all of us think differently, just as we were made to believe that the Tulsa Greenwood massacre was a Negro uprising or that George Floyd's death was drug resistant to arrest and related to his own fault and his own life. And commerce and wealth, the primary motivation for injustice to include the commodifying of human bodies for labor with fear-based object lessons. Why would I lift this up? Because the pushback against critical race theory and the celebration of Juneteenth as a holiday is an oxymoron to me. Critical race theory is loosely identified by two common themes. First, that white supremacy with its social or structural racism exists and maintains power through the law. And second, that transforming the relationship between law and racial power and also achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination is possible. It can be done. But the opponents of critical race theory argue that it relies on social constructionism and elevates storytelling about our history, storytelling over evidence and reasons, and that it rejects the concepts of truth and merit, and it opposes liberalism, and it makes people lazy. Because in the thought of those who are against critical race theory, people are better off without a hand up, no matter how much they have experienced a put down. And so here is the Juneteenth question. How does one keep a slave a slave when freedom has come? Well, you make them believe that they are not actually slaves, so freedom is not necessary. Or you keep him, her, them from knowing that freedom is possible. 
Blindness to freedom is truly insidious because it often is perpetuated by religion. I know all of us who are people of faith must wonder how did religion get all bind, binded up and crossed up in believing that man's inhumanity to man is the will of God. Blindness to freedom is a truly insidious reality when it is perpetrated by religion that suggests that God has a favored people who are called to reign and rule over those in the caste that are below them. It is called manifest destiny and designed to commodify the allegedly weak and subhuman. And may I also confess today as a person of faith and a leader in a faith community that poor religion is a historic and active perpetrator in humanity's inhumanity to humanity. In 1893, there was a dilemma facing the Christian slaveholding South. The slaveholders felt duty-bound to share Christianity with their servants, but they became deeply afraid that the liberating nature of the gospel, hallelujah, I'll take a Pentecostal moment, the liberating nature of the gospel might cause the slaves to think independently and thus seek to be equal. So in Charleston, the slaveholder Charles Coatsworth Pinckney was quoted as saying, we look upon the habit of the Negro preaching as a widespreading evil, not because a black man cannot be a good man, but because they acquire an influence independent of their owners and are not subject to his control. When they have possess this power, they are known to make improper use of it. A plan was devised to carefully limit the participation of the slaves in receiving and propagating the gospel. A set of promises had to be made by slaves in a document called the Rules, this is a long title, the Rules for the Christian Society of Negroes to govern how they should worship and they were taught from the accompanying catechism called The Negro Christianized, an essay to excite and assist that good work, the, the instruction of Negroes in Christianity, which biblically, by the way, defended slavery and suggested that even water baptism and eternal life would not deliver the Negro from his God-given appointed curse of servanthood. May I just share a quote? from the rules of worship, and I quote, we will, as we have opportunity, set ourselves to do all the good we can to the other Negroes in town. And by the way, this was the catechism that had to be memorized by the members of the church who were of African descent. If any of them should run away from their masters, we will afford them no shelter but we will do what we can that they may be discovered and punished. And if any of us are found faulty in this matter, they shall be no longer of us. This was required to be a full member of the church for the Negro. I'll say it again, commerce and wealth, the primary motivation for years of injustice to include the commodifying of human bodies for labor with fear-based faith-based 
object lessons. Let me return to Paul before I close today. A place for freedom is found in Paul's second letter, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. We are free, my beloved, because God has made us free. And God has gone a step further and made us, all of us, sharing here today, has made us ministers of reconciliation who seek to free people from the bondage of their stinking thinking. And harbingers of freedom become our task. Much like Harriet Tubman, who after she was free came back and got 300 of her sisters and brothers because free people, free people, whether they are the children of slaves or the children of slaveholders, free people, free people. But we won't seek to set anyone else free until we know we are free. I was born and raised in San Francisco. And out in the middle of the San Francisco Bay is Alcatraz Island. Alcatraz Island was a prison, a federal prison. And if you were on Alcatraz Island because you'd done something wrong, you would also have a real difficulty getting from Alcatraz Island over to San Francisco because the undertow was so strong. If you tried to swim over, you would be sucked under the sea and taken out to sea beyond the Golden Gate and die. That's why Alcatraz was thought to be a good location. But here's the interesting thing. If you worked for the prison, you also couldn't get away unless you could wait until the boats came. And sometimes the boats were a long time coming. So I want you to see it in your mind that the people behind the bars and the people outside of the bars were still stuck and held in the same place. When we create prisons, when we create inequality, when we create prejudice, when we create power over dynamics, not only are the people that we have this assumed power over the ones that suffer, but the people who spend the time making sure that they stay in their place also suffer. It's the same jail, whether you're in it or out of it. People in slavery were accustomed to conditional freedoms. People in slavery were grateful for crumbs. This is embodied in the making of Juneteenth a national holiday. Many, including myself, desire to celebrate this long-awaited recognition of the suffering of our ancestors. But my beloved, I was shared uh, not long ago with a story from some of my Jewish friends who talked about the story of a Negro in the Deep South who had some trees and some logs were hewn out of those trees. And when he got them all ready to build, the slaveholder, a previous slaveholder, came and took his logs because he could and hewn out a hole in the ground and created a foundation under a house that he built on top of those logs. And it was a wonderful house. And over time, he added to it another bedroom and another back porch and this and that with the slaves' logs. And one day the slaves said, well, now that you've built such a beautiful place on my logs, perhaps you'll make room for me and my family. He said, you can't live with me. 
And he continued to improve it over and over again, adding rooms and spaces and adding decor. And the slave came back, well, surely, if nothing else, one of the back bedrooms or one of the sheds or something, because we don't have a home. And he told him, we can't do that because we can't be together. And a little further down the line, as the house continued to improve, the slave came again and said, well, certainly by now, we should be able to share some of this space. And it was at that time that the log thief said to the slave or the person who was once a slave, I'm going to put an end to this. And he called the law during his time, the constable during his time, and suggested that the slave was a nuisance and that he was violent and he was inherently violent and things needed to be done to put him in his place. And now the person whose logs were built upon was thought of as a drug addict, someone who is in some way always going to be in the prison system, someone who is violent, someone who is dangerous, someone who is unclean. A whole persona was created to make the guiltless guilty. He was George Floyd. It was a complicated situation. What about the logs? We will not move forward in creating holidays or suggesting that God will even, even the score in heaven by vilifying the oppressed. We cannot unbuild the house that was built on someone else's logs. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But what does that look like in real life? How about ending voter suppression? equal pay for equal work, fair distribution of wealth. We can't get the logs from under the foundation. It's too late for that. But how about forgiving education debt? How about stopping discrimination based on conservative religious beliefs? Can I go on just for a minute? Can we really, if we are really concerned about the unborn, or what I call the veiled concern with the low birth rate among the majority population, then let's launch a vasectomy initiative. How about that? Perhaps that might do some things to end abortion in this nation. What hinders us from knowing we are unconditionally free, but really what hinders us from knowing that we are free to free people when we really become free? People, society, and religion keep the news from us and keep us working on trying to aggrandize ourselves at other people's expense. Much of the messaging, the current conser conservative messaging, particularly from religion, creates a broken slave pool of people who are struggling but never acquire self-affirmation and therefore are in constant need of what is often a machine to provide them with a place to earn self-worth and salvation. I have watched it happen over and over, year after year after year. Even the religions that I represent and the religions of my history tell many of us that we are to work to earn our freedom much like an indentured servant. 
guilt-based religion does not truly celebrate the fact that we are loved by God and our good and faithful works are our grateful response to God's love. And God has spread a table and it is a table of equality and all are welcome and can find wholeness and there's no big me and no little you. Oh, beloved, it's too wonderful to grasp at times that we are truly justified by faith and not by works. And perhaps if we could believe that, we could grasp equality with our whole hearts and our whole minds, not by acts of religion, but by the heart of religion. Qualitative lifestyle that follows knowing we are whole makes us ministers of justice and reconciliation in direct response to God. This is what empowers us to make positive change. Please know we are fully received by God, even while we're trying to figure it out. And if we are to be freedom bringers, we must know and acknowledge our own freedom. I am free to be free, and I am free to free people. If it wasn't so long, I would recommend it as a bumper sticker. I am free to be free, and I am free to free people. I am free to be free, and I am free to, pre to free people. And if we are to be freedom bringers, we must know and acknowledge our own freedom. How do you look after the day that you find out that you're really free? Well, you look like you did the day before, but something internally has passed from us a change of status, a change of position. The Granger proclamation in your own soul, you are free. What he said to the slaves who are no longer bound by their master-servant model, and mind you, the master-servant model meant the slaves were bound and so were the masters by employer labor models that were unjust. Free people. Free people, free people. Free people, free people. So I challenge you in your homes, in your cars, wherever you may be, where you are hearing or seeing us, to take out perhaps a piece of paper or perhaps your cell phone and write freedom on it until it grabs hold to your soul. Write freedom on it, then give something to your sisters and brothers and tell them, write freedom on it. Let's get in this together and be free people. Reflect. Reflect. Because the news may be getting to you late, but we can also declare that the war is over. We are no longer slaves to anything or slaveholders of anyone. Our God has made us free and we are free indeed. It matters not that you were born with plenty or scarcity. Today, today, let's declare freedom to be free. Hallelujah. And set others free. It has now come to our house, to our institution, to our churches, and to our government. And if enough of us declare it and believe it, we will walk in it. Freedom, God has called a full regimen of justice-minded warriors of every hue and every language to declare freedom 
and to guard us from the enemies of righteousness. And when we can hold on to it, we will pass the laws and we will do the legislation that is necessary to bring equality so that we can all celebrate the laws. All of us can dwell together in harmony. All of our children will dance and sing. Let's walk in that freedom. Let's set others free everywhere we go. No more denial of our history, but an embracing of our future. Happy Juneteenth, my beloved. May the Lord bless and keep you is my prayer.